Hello and welcome to this episode of the Star Wars Universe Podcast. Today we're talking about The Clone Wars, Season 4, Episodes 1 through 6. All that more after a commercial break. We have no control over. Welcome back. I'm Matthew. I'm one of your hosts. I'm joined, as always, for The Clone Wars by Riki and Sarah Hayashi. Hey, folks, doing tonight? Fantastic. Oh, yeah. Awesome. How are you? Pretty good. Pretty good. Um, we had fun last week kind of going back over seasons one through three, but I'm really excited to get this new season started. This is, there's definitely been sort of an on-ramp going on where season one's kind of weak and season two and three, we're starting to get more and more of the better episodes. Season four, I think there's really where the show starts to shine. So I'm, I'm, I'm excited to be diving into this. Yeah, I agree. Oh, diving in. <laughs> <laughs> we are spending a lot of time underwater these next couple episodes, so... That's that's definitely true. <laughs> yeah, I feel like already in season four, even in these first six episodes, we're really fleshing out the sort of the rest of the universe beyond mm-hmm. just the Clone Wars themselves, um, which I know is the things that we've mentioned beforehand as uh, aspects of the show that we like. Um, and it's and there there we get a few arc um, episodes or a few episodes taking place. A few, sorry, <laughs> we get a few uh, story arcs that take place over multiple episodes. We also get a couple one shots mm-hmm. that are uh, a little bit comedic, which is fun. Yeah, it's just it's it's all around a fun season, and I think as Riki was pointing out earlier, this is sort of a droid themed season, mm-hmm. which I am I'm all about. Yeah, so we get General Grievous back. He's obviously important to that. We have uh, some fun adventures for R two D two and C three PO. And what we're going to be trying doing is we want to make sure we finish this season and uh, finish this show and finish Rebels by the time we get to the end of 2021. So much new Star Wars content. We want to get people fully catched up. So we're going to focus on kind of some of the bigger plot arcs. There's a couple of one-off episodes or or small things that we're going to maybe skip over and not give a full analysis to. We'll comment on one or two things about them. So we're going to start by, as Riki pointed out, diving into a three-part story, all set on the planet of Mon Cal, or Mon Calamari, where Admiral Akbar, now Captain Akbar, and, and his people all come from. Uh, what do you want to give us a quick rundown of the, the story over these three episodes? Yeah, so um, it's, I think it's also important to know that on Mon Cal, it's not just the Mon Calamari, but also another species called the Quarren, right. who look like squids. The people named Mon Calmari don't look like squids, so like keeping that separate's fun. They look, they look like fish. Well, right. no, um, cuttlefish. Oh, okay, all right, right, sure. Um, Mon- yeah, as as Matthew, as you pointed out, the Mon Calmari we're probably most familiar with is Admiral Akbar, mm-hmm. um, and the Corn I don't think show up in the movies at all. They're background characters. Yeah, um, but they are upset that. Uh, basically, the Mon Calmari have the planet named after them and seem to be the ruling race, yeah. which seems like a pretty valid concern. Uh, and the king has just recently been found murdered under suspicious circumstances, and the Quarren are upset that another Mon, Cal- Mon Calmari king is going to be installed, um, despite being a kid, not really having any power, and they would like a Quarren representative on the throne instead. Um, so they've called in the Separatists to help out with that. And as a result, the Mon Calmari have given the Republic a, a call and got them to come down. Um, and the Separatists see this as an opportunity, not so much to help the Quarren as an underrepresented people, but 
to take over the planet outright. Right. There are no parallels with the real world. (laughs) (laughs) None at all. None at all. Yeah. And so then we get um, kind of epic battles and back and forth. And um, I I think the only really kind of important parts is that eventually the Quarren come to realize that the Separatists are not really that interested in the uh, rights or issues of the Quarren. They're just there to take over and to have maniacal laughs while they take over power. And the Corrin switch side, and the prince proves to be a noble leader and proves himself as king, and eventually they they win and everything works out well. Yeah, he keeps he keeps saying how he's going to be a, a king for all people of Moncala, not just the Moncalmari, but the Corrin too. Honestly, trust me. Here's my question: mm. <laughs> Why are the protectors of democracy throughout the Democratic Republic? so insistent on keeping kings on their thrones of all these places they go to. <laughs> there are democratic monarchies, aren't mm. there? Naboo, Naboo well, definitely yeah, has yeah. one. Yeah, well, in, in the real world as well. But, but you're saying in this case it's a... Monarchy, monarchy. Yeah. It, yeah. It's funny because it just, the whole thing, you know, it, it rides on this idea of, well, of course the prince should rule, but it's so sad that no one wants to listen to him. And as you were kind of saying at the beginning, Sarah... I find myself really sympathetic to the Quarren for most of this story. Oh, 100%. If there is an entire planet with two sentient species on it, and the planet is named after one of them, mm-hmm. things probably ain't good for the other half, right? Yeah. Like, I, I'm all for Quarren representation, and I feel like it's a valid complaint, right? Mm-hmm. Like, your monarch, the rulers of this planet have continuously been from this other species, and we've never got representation. Yeah. And at the end, they're just back to where they started, but... They got to fight the separatists together and a cool shark dude as well. So that's something. I'm I'm just going to call him King Shark, by the way. I know he has some <laughs> other name. He's from some particular shark-like, you know, race that he's working for the separatists. But in my mind, that character is simply King Shark. His name, His name is Biff Tannen. It's, it's, it's Riff Tamson. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Like well, I he's said, a bully. He's King so. Shark. King Shark. What and a neat thing I do like about King Shark is I think he's the first species that we've seen who's like really confined to one terrain type mm-hmm. like uh the mon the mon Cala- the mon calmari pardon me and um what what is master fisto's race i'm the not fist- sure but obviously something tentacly cool yep the tentacly somethings mm-hmm. the buff tentacle man uh and then like the gungans we all see wander around with no problem out right. um like up on the surface um and again we see we see humans hanging out underwater um and other species hanging out underwater with sort of breathing apparatuses on but we never see this shark type species in like a aquarium suit on oh yeah that's right right and i think that's really neat because i mean it's all of space right there you're bound to have some species that just can't exist on other species planets are in their atmospheres so i think it was neat that we got to we got to see right that situation yeah i definitely well, we like shouldn't that. go there hmm? we, we <laughs> shouldn't really shouldn't go there because it, if you start thinking about it too much it, it you know like on the the bridge of a starship you shouldn't be able to have species from different planets just all breathing the same mixture of gases mm-hmm. Yeah, they got implants, and they do have some who wear like environment suits and stuff like that. But it's it's mm-hmm. not really held up too much. I'll also say similarly, 
I like what they do of creating this entire underwater world. And mm-hmm. we do have your favorite. The fighting happens in three dimensions instead of just two. Because yes. people realize that in water, like in space, you can go up and down as part of fighting. <laughs> There's a lot of things about the way things work that don't... Re- like, I'm pretty sure that even if you're a Jedi, swinging a lightsaber when you're a couple <laughs> hundred feet down in the water, and the water pressure is pretty strong... I don't think you're going to get quite the same range of motion that they do. Yeah. Or even like how, how is a laser sword going to work the same underwater? Like doesn't light reflect, refract differently, but I mean, lasers fire straight and true in the water. So, you know, (laughs) Oh, do they? But, but the shark people can bite and kill people by biting without leaving any blood. So, you know, (laughs) there's some cool physics happening at work here. I I honestly I really did like the architecture a lot. Mm-hmm. I think I was like I was even looking to try and like pick stuff apart. Like, are you gonna have stairs for some reason? Is that gonna happen? Um, but they like they didn't. It was really neat. And those tubes I think were super interesting. At mm-hmm. first I was like, why would you need tubes underwater? But they seem to be sort of like a mnemonic tube almost. Like they've got water rushing through them, so it's kind of like a moving sidewalk. You can get in those tubes and swim along a little faster. Um, yeah, and the sort of coral-like architecture mm-hmm. was super interesting. They had just like balconies on the outside because clearly you could just swim up to someone's door. It doesn't matter yeah. how high it is. Yeah. Now, Ricky, you said something about uh, this situation not having any parallels to modern day or current history or recent history. <laughs> I mean, there's too many to yeah. count. <laughs> what, how, how so? Well, uh, most of the Cold War, I yeah. would say was two superpowers kind of fighting by proxy through other neutral-ish countries Mm -hmm. and supporting one side or the other to to try to gain a foothold in a place. No, I I think that's exactly where I was coming from as well. And I, this is one of those times where I hope the writers realize what they're doing because I feel like if you look at it through that lens, the Republic and the Jedi come off pretty badly. Um, Especially as you said... um, uh, Sarah at the beginning about how the Quarrens seem to have some real concerns. One of the things I think that's so interesting and, and horrifying, but but happened again and again in the Cold War and almost any time you have like large nations fighting each other through puppet states is the very real concern. You know, the North Vietnamese, the North Koreans, like they, they had some legitimate grievances, but to Americans, well, they're working with the communists, so they must all be bad. Mm. And that exact dynamic happens here. All the Jedi care about is that the Quarren are working with the Separatists. And so any thought of thinking that the Quarren have legitimate concerns or that maybe the Mon Cal's aren't the good guys, you know, that all goes away. Yeah, totally. And like you said, it doesn't it doesn't really make a lot of sense for them to be in support of a monarchy until you take it from this lens of they're not necessarily in support of a monarchy. They're just against the Separatists so right. much that they'll support whoever's not or whoever like the, the enemy you, of my enemy is my you su- yeah you support whoever supports you mm. right or whoever asks you for support i mean to me one of my you favorite examples them. of just how bad this can get is south africa where for you know years we were supporting an apartheid government because the only people who would support the africans fighting against apartheid were cuban socialists and and soviet communists and so we were like oh well they must be bad so the apartheid people are fighting against them. They must be good. Um, hmm. I, I hope the writers realized what they were doing there. And because it, it, it really seems like there's a brilliant commentary happening if that's what they're actually doing. Yeah, I think so. And I think they've like 
obviously, I don't want to say like dumbed it down, but like simplified it mm-hmm. to just to fit into this three episode arc in a larger story. Right. Um, but I think like we're getting into the episodes where the Republic is, is starting to come into question, right? Yeah. Like we're, we've, we're seeing Anakin not fully go along with it all, all the way anymore. And like in this episode, he does, he's, he's right alongside uh, the, the Prince Lee, Lee Char um, of the Mon Calmari. And, but yeah, I think, planting this idea that like maybe the republic isn't all super duper fantastic right is is starting to come in here especially like we're at season four now right like we we know what happens with the republic by the end of this whole adventure so Mm -hmm. we got to start making headway getting there i guess right yeah we have we have to have that and and i think we're starting to see the smallest cracks in the in the republic but yeah i think you're right that that now we're really starting to see those on that that I think further confirms me that the writers at least had some idea what they were doing here. Mm. On the separatist side of things, I do feel like there again, I feel like, you know, it, it, in the Cold War, both sides were doing this and uh, that generally happens in Cold War situations. But one of the things we've learned is that Darth Sidious is incredibly subtle. He's incredibly good at manipulating people and at never showing his hand. No one ever realizes why he's doing it feels like he hasn't really explained that to anyone else he's working with because <laughs> how many times have we seen separatists work with people on a planet and so blatantly betray them in ways that like if anyone why would anyone work with the separatists again given that we have so many evidences on uh, people talk of you know the literal like mu- sharks don't have mustaches, but if they did, King Shark would have been twirling his mustache as he went, "Wahaha, you, you stupid Quarren! Like I'm going to take over, not you." What he actually to- does the laugh. He does the evil laugh, yeah. and then he bites a lot. He of monologues them. and then laughs. Yeah, <laughs> like and what- rubs it in, rubs it in his face. When he's like torturing Jedi and just being a being an all around evil villain. What better no way to guarantee asked. the Quarren are going to fight with him on Calamari? Like it seems mm. so dumb. Yeah, yeah, I, I don't know. Like well, as we were watching it, Ricky was pointing out. He's like, he's just giving them so much evidence to ultimately make the the, not the heel turn. What's the the face turn? Is that a thing? Yeah. Um. Yeah. At at the end, like to, <laughs> whereas if they had been, like you were saying, a little more subtle, maybe the corn would have stuck with them just mm-hmm. because, you know, they are. They, they they do seem to have legitimate concerns that didn't get resolved right. by the end of this, right? Yeah, I kind of wonder if, you know, five months later, the coroner's saying, okay, good, we're, we're, we're done with the separatists, but we're still kind of pissed that you're still king. Like, why can't we talk about that again? Yeah, he does seem to have, like, one Corrin buddy who, uh, I think he's the leader of the Corrin. So the Corrin have their own leadership Mm-hmm. It seems, um, and and he was friends with the the previous king, Lechar's father. Right. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I just I feel I feel like the corn must have some legitimate concerns that maybe need some <laughs> some answering. It feels well, like... Lechar like gives them the play pays all the lip service. Yes. Yeah. At the end. Yeah. Right. So it's all good. I'm like, hey, like. <laughs> That's also equality for well. everybody. Yeah. I'm for both of you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Unity yeah, and goodness. No. Yeah, a political no, message wow. that, as we say this on January 19th, <laughs> is 
no symbolism for anything happening in perhaps no, tomorrow in our real world. Um, not relevant at all. But sure. but the thing is, like, that's that's what the leader should say, right? To preserve peace. Yeah, it does seem like he is from the beginning. He genuinely wants to make the Quarren feel like they are represented and that they are heard. And I, I he, it's interesting. He never questions the idea that he should be the ruler. Mm-hmm. And certainly, like, um, I mean, at, I, I'm glad that Akbar is a part of this because I had a my, my first Halloween costume that I can ever remember wearing was an uh, general was an Admiral Akbar mask I had when I was like seven years old. Oh so my gosh, that's I'm, adorable! I'm a hardcore Akbar stan, but. Um, <laughs> And I like getting to see him here, but it would have been nice if maybe some of the Moncals were like, maybe we, maybe we can do something different. But, but it is nice that the prince, at least, who becomes king, like you said, Ricky, he's he's playing uh, Ricky, he's playing lip service to this, but he definitely seems to believe it. He wants it. Um, we just don't ever get to really see it. Yeah, and like him, him believing. You know, oh yeah, I'm I'm for both y'all. I'm gonna be a leader of both people, but not even like saying like he right like we're gonna and we're gonna call the planet Moncorin now. Yeah, <laughs> right, or just like something that Core shows Calamari, that he actually you know, means something. it. Yeah, okay. right. It feels like the classic like I'm an I'm an excellent ally. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, sort of <laughs> stance and like I don't know. Maybe maybe he will be, but also. I don't know do something man be like and also my corn leader friend is gonna lead alongside me just to make sure y'all are represented right come on come on but that's the stuff you don't want to see on this show sarah is the 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 politics and the boring bureaucracy no okay if he went into like a whole diatribe about how they were gonna like evenly divide the taxes and like redistrict moncala then yeah then i'd be out but if he was just like I, I totally forget the Quarren's name, but like Quarren uh, leader. There we go. What is it? Most Sarai. I thought that's how you pronounced it. Yes, that, that's fair. I I totally forgot. Um, Most Sarai and I are going to be co-leaders of the planet. We're going to form a coalition and work together. Right? Like one line yeah. is fine. That's not like the deep dive into like the quote unquote boring politics that I don't like, and it doesn't even necessarily need to be like I don't need to see this guy's three point plan. For the future of Moncala, just to like more than like I'm gonna represent both of you. Yeah, I mean, even just for have the Quarren have like one specific demand, you know, like we want to, you know, teach our language on Tuesdays and Thursdays. What you know, whatever the <laughs> heck it is, like to have that be acknowledged and, and have the king ha- do some tangible, like we will do this thing that the Quarren want. You know, that it would have been nice to include that. Yeah, like it seems like their main concern right now is like we don't we don't want sole Mon Calmari representation for the entire government, right? Like we would like some corn representation in government. So just be like you get it, the end. Hooray. But isn't isn't the leader of the corn a senator? Was that not I thought that he was. I think a yeah, senator I think... in to the Republic. I th- I think oh, that's I yeah, the know. same way like on Naboo the Gungans and the Naboo folk both have mm. senators. I think here both groups have senators. Which also, another planet named for one of the species yeah. with an entirely different species who's plotting a, a rise against them. I did find it a little change. uncomfortable that the Gungans wind up just, you know, sacrificing themselves by the thousands to come help on this planet when oh my gosh. Like the Gungans should also have a similar viewpoint to the Corrin. 
Yeah, it was just like, Amidala's in trouble? Let's get on the boats and dive into the water and do not much, but be loud about it. They threw their bombs. They threw their bombs, mm-hmm. yeah. Which stopped the supposedly invincible hydroid medusas. Yeah, but they do... <laughs> I feel like the Corrin point out that the Separatists' um, magnificence has been exaggerated. And Biff Tannen rebuts like yeah of course we exaggerate that's how we win wars right so the fact that he's called them invincible and they're not invincible i'm fine with that mm-hmm. right just like the titanic's unsinkable yeah, you know war's all about propaganda the republic does exactly it. um a, a quick plug for something just related to that um i don't know if either of you've read or planning to read the the any of the high republic books that have just come out the first one light of the jedi we're going to put up a review of it pretty soon but one thing it does a great job is of talking about how there's this legend of the Jedi that exists and that, you know, the Jedi are, are real people and they're doing real Jedi things, but that they're all these people who like maybe one person in their neighborhood once saw a Jedi 30 years ago. And so mm. there's just all this mythology and legends about the, you know, one person talks about like Jedi shooting lasers out of their eyes and crazy things like this, you know? So it's kind of fun to see that again, that, yeah, you know, you tell stories, you tell them you're invincible, you tell them you're, we're, we defeated them easily, whatever the heck the, the lie is to support the war propaganda. Yeah, totally. Only other thing I want to add is um, there's an awful lot of this, this. The only thing I want to add is that there's an awful lot of this story that in the way that the fighting is done, it reminds me a lot of doing underwater fighting in video games which I hate with a passion. <laughs> so I definitely was bringing up some like, ah, no, that looks terrible. It, 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 much, it, it was much better to watch instead of having to play it, but that was a little, you know, a little bit of hate in my heart it stirred up. Just because of the mechanics of it? or Yeah, I just never find it fun. I'm never very good at it. You know, whether it's like World of Warcraft or any of these video games. Um, I'm not a big video gamer by any means, but in so many, there's always a like, you've got to learn how to fight underwater too, and it's never my favorite. Yeah. My only underwater video game experience is like the Mario levels. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> so. I don't think they're really worried about the physics of underwater movement in, in those. Yeah. <laughs> Two-dimensional. But the... mm-hmm. but yeah. I don't know. I think it's I think it, it's the same problem, right, of the fighting in space. You've got three dimensions to worry about, and so rarely does that happen on Earth. Right. That it's just like weird to conceptualize yeah it's hard to hard to wrap your minds around and probably hard to animate but it would it is nice that they acknowledge it at least here yeah for sure uh riki anything more about this uh arc before you dive into some of the others i thought it was very interesting the way captain akbar was supporting lee char Mm. you know he kept saying like no lee char is the king or he's He's going to be king. He has to decide. Right. But then was also kind of like whispering in his ear, like, okay, now tell them, tell the <laughs> troops to attack. Um, so he he was kind of holding up, he was propping up the monarchy mm-hmm. as the legitimate leadership, but also acknowledging like, he's just a kid. I'm, I'm the guy who knows all this stuff. Right. And, and doing stuff for him. It reminds me of, I've never served in the military, but I've heard that this is, I've seen this dynamic happen often in media and often, and also spoken to a lot of people in the military who've told me this is something that's very much true, where you have the fresh out of West Point lieutenant who's working with a staff sergeant who's been on, you know, been in the army for 15 years. And 
in theory, the lieutenant is higher in the chain of command, but everyone knows that when the, the sergeant makes a quote-unquote suggestion, he's going to listen very carefully. Um, and, and I think what I was thinking is interesting is it's, it's very easy for the sergeant to do those and things that, you know, undermine the lieutenant's authority or make the lieutenant look like an idiot, which is often probably pretty, um, pretty deserved. But that when you can really do it right, people see the authority of the lieutenant, even though you're propping it up. And I think you're right. That's exactly what happens here. Akbar is and, really dedicated to making the prince be the one who looks good so that the people by the end want him to be their king. Mm-hmm. And Lee Char understands that too yeah. and, and listens to Akbar and trusts him. And that's part of it, in, in the importance of that dynamic is that the leader should understand who to trust. Right. And, and listen to the experts. Yeah, he never says like, I'm... I think part of the problem at first is that he's very indecisive and he really wants us to tell him what to do. And, and Akbar, and he becomes, you know, towards the end of the, the arc, Akbar is prisoner. And so he has to make decisions on his own, but you're right. It's very much because he starts out listening to Akbar and trusting him and, and letting Akbar teach him how to lead. Yeah. He's Lee, Lee Char is like quite naive, but he's like, he seems really aware of his naivety. Mm-hmm. Which I think is like it's a nice that, that's quality. not the definition is it? of naive. No, like he's he's green, I guess, right? But he knows that he's green. He knows that he's not. He obviously wasn't prepared to become the king this soon because right. I don't think he was anticipating that his father was going to be murdered, right? Yeah. Like he probably thought he had years and years and years left before becoming king. Yeah, I, I think that's accurate. I, I do think he's also naive, and the the na- the naivete is demonstrated through perhaps one of my favorite just one moment in in the episodes we saw tonight and maybe for this season which is where at one point he's giving this impassioned speech he's very idealistic and he says i don't believe the quorum will attack mm-hmm. and literally the next shot is the quorum leader going attack yeah <laughs> <laughs> so that was a fun little thing yeah well cool so that was definitely a fun arc um and then we we now have uh one episode that's a pure one-off and then a, a two-part episode both of which i think are more on the filler side, but have some interesting things happening to them. Um, this next one is all about the Gungans. We get to continue their story, which we all love. And it's called Shadow Warrior. Ad, uh, Anakin, Padme, and Jar Jar uncover a plot by the Gungan shaman, Rish Lu, to trick the Gungans into aiding the Separatists in an assault on Naboo. However, as the charade unravels, can Jar Jar convince the Gungan army that they've been deceived? However, shortly after General Grievous arrives, demanding to know why the attack was canceled, Jar Jar manages to lure Grievous into a trap in which he's captured, but Dooku manages to capture Anakin, who's rushing after Rishlu. Now Dooku demands the freedom of Grievous in exchange for Skywalker. First off, yeah. this, this guy is 100% named after Cardinal Rishlu, right? Yeah, I think that was very yeah. intentional. Who's Cardinal Rishlu? He's he's like the villain in The Three Musketeers. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, he was um a very important figure during... um in. Uh, French monarchy, um, kind of similar to the role that. Um, uh, oh, <laughs> oh God! Okay, uh, Cardinal. If you think of like what Cardinal Wolseley does for the the Tudor monarchy, Richelieu is very much that for the Louis. Um, yeah, I. Y- yeah, I didn't. Oh, I'm th- sorry, Richelieu. Yes. Richelieu. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> yep. No, I know. I'm sorry. I'm too Canadian. It's good. I. Okay, see, I know who you're talking about. Thank see, you. Where I thought you were going was, because um, it's also the thing that really jumped out at me, somewhere someone decided that the 
racist connection of the Gungans to Jamaican culture wasn't quite strong enough. <laughs> because now we have to throw in the witch doctor. Who, mm. oh, I mean, yeah, he yeah. might as well have said he's using voodoo. It's just like, every, granted, voodoo is, is more Haitian. It's, I don't think they're really telling any difference between Caribbean here. It's just, oh my God, it was so stereotypical and awful. And like, we often talk about how the Gungans are incredibly racist. This was like, nope, not racist enough. Let's go deeper. Yeah, even like the portrayal of the Gungans, not the Gungans as characters. But yes, yeah, exactly. Yeah. They are also racist in this episode, though. Yeah, although like there's there's another weird trope where it's like all gungans look alike mm-hmm. um and i oh yeah right oh jar jar you put on that hat and you look just like boss leone <laughs> yes right and and like i he jar jar even says like what we look nothing alike and i so 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 wanted jar jar to step out in the hat and all the gungans to be like you're clearly jar jar yeah. what are you talking you about head? yeah but that didn't happen. No. Uh, they were all like, whoa. And they Boss don't Leone. sound alike either. No. Yeah. Even when he's doing the voice, it's... Mm, yeah. It's very bad, and it leads to this portrayal of all Gungans, you know, even beyond Jar Jar. is just, like, kind of inept. Yeah, being very stupid, being unable to perceive things. And and here's where... And this but again, then they capture Grievous. <laughs> they capture Grievous. And there's also, like, um, the... Oh, gosh... Jar Jar's pal, whose name I don't remember, who, like, sacrifices himself. Oh, the general? Yeah. Um, seems... Like, like, Jar Jar definitely seems the most inept of the Gungans, but the Gungans in general do seem very, like, pratfally and silly. Yeah. And and here as well, and, and again, I think this is intentional. I certainly hope it is. We see the Jedi being pretty underhanded because mm-hmm. this whole idea of... Well, I mean, Anakin specifically, who's clearly kind of falling from it from the Jedi, but this whole idea of Jar Jar pretending to be Boss Leone is something that the Jedi are pushing. And there's one moment that I think is just so, like, it's either utterly brilliant or utterly awful. I hope that it's brilliant writing, where Jar Jar, as Boss Leone, is telling the people, you've been manipulated, you've been lied to, that's mm-hmm. why you think what you do. Well, he's pretending to be someone else because they'll trust the other person. The definite of which is lying and manipulating to get them to do what you want to do. Like, that had to be intentional because it's just so perfect otherwise. so awful otherwise. Yeah, it's, 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 it's really good. And the sort of, like, unambiguity between manipulating and lying because, oh, we're the good guys, so we get to do that. Right. But if the, the separatists do it, they're the bad guys and it's a bad thing. Right. Yeah. And it seems kind of interesting that this comes, I don't know if it chronologically does, but in terms of um, watch order and the order they were released, um, this episode comes right after the last one because, once again, the witch doctor is getting the Gungan people fired up to fight the Naboo. Mm -hmm. And clearly, because there are some very real grievances that the Gungans have against the Naboo, which, again, are supposed to go completely away because, no, it was just this witch doctor, shaman, I shouldn't call him a shaman. Um, which isn't much better, but, um, you know, once again, the actual real concerns are being completely ignored. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, it's, I mean, even in the next episode, we do have a little bit of the one planet, two species thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's, yeah. in the next episode, it's not as, uh, not as relevant story-wise. Right. 
Whereas here, yeah, I mean, you've got, you've got an entire planet that's named after one of the species, but I think it goes even further in that, like, the Quarren and the Mon Calamari seem to be portrayed as, like, equals. At the very least, they're, like, both living in the same habitat, mm-hmm. whereas the Gungan live in the waters below Naboo, and Naboo has this, like, bright, glorious civilization on the surface. So it seems like it's just further highlighting that, like... Socioeconomic disparaging? Dis- 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 disparaging? Disparaging? <laughs> yeah, thanks. Can't talk today. I think that's a great point, especially with... I think that's a great point, especially with the fact that... And they never really mention this in the movies, but it's you can, you can infer it, and it's certainly, it's certainly directly stated in the book. The other race on Naboo, like on Mon, Cal, on Mon Cal, Calamar... How are you pronounce Moncala, yeah, no, super confusing. Uh, on Moncala, I think we're supposed to believe both of those races are native to the planet. Mm. The Naboo are 100% colonists. Mm-hmm. Like, we've established in the story, in the books, which are canon, that humans don't just naturally appear on all these different planets. They, they started on the core, in one of the core planets, and then have just been incredibly profligate colonizers. And that's why you have... Yeah humans on all of these planets and so that just adds a whole other dimension to naboo in terms of like this being a colonizer versus native population that they are i I think the writers are not realizing what they're doing because we just never address that yeah and this is i mean this is also what like early 2010s this is 2011 Mm -hmm. um and like i don't know not to say that we were unaware of the issues of colonialism 10 years ago but i think like it's it's become more prominent this sort of awareness of yeah i think it's i think how bad it is yeah i think the discussions about it have have changed a lot just in the last 10 years yeah that's it the discussions have become more prominent less like i'm sure there have been people who've been aware of how bad colonialism is for a very long time um yeah It's neat. I think, and I do like how the Gungans are able to defeat Mm -hmm. Grievous entirely, which is neat. But then they just give him right back. Yeah. What'd you guys think of that? Um, The, uh, the hostage, hostage trade that they do. So what I really like about it, first of all, okay. Do we know that Sidious is Palpatine? Like, has that been established in... I mean, obviously we know that, but, like, as as far as if you were to just sit down and watch the Clone Wars, has that been revealed in Clone Wars? Yes. Okay. At the end of season... Maybe not a season, but there was an... At the end of an episode, after he loses the vote in the Senate... Oh, yeah, with that giant monster episode? No, it's after he loses a vote in the Senate. Okay. Over, like, funding for the war. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, he has he he gives like a monologue in his office, like yeah. we'll get them next time. Like things are still proceeding yeah. in in his Sidious uh, voice in his Palpatine guys still. Yeah. Okay. So he he appears as like the hologram all cloaked to Dooku, which is why I was wondering. Right. But um, anyway, uh, where I was going with this was he tells Dooku like let. Padme know they lure Anakin there and then let Padme know that you've got Anakin and she will 100% hand over Grievous no questions asked which definitely implies that Palpatine is fully aware of their relationship oh yeah 
which of course he is <laughs> but Padme doesn't want to hand him over like Dooku calls up Padme and is like yo we've got Anakin so give us Grievous uh, and she says I can't do that um, and then it's Jar Jar who's like mm-hmm. he's our friend we have to hand him over and Padme straight up does not want to yeah. which I don't know I think is the, the right choice honestly but also maybe speaks to like Padme and Anakin maybe aren't on such fantastic terms at the moment. Maybe she's, like, sensing him drifting towards the dark side. Maybe she's just, like, unhappy in this weird secret marriage in general. And I I don't know. It's not stated explicitly, but mm-hmm. I like thinking that. I don't know. I, I didn't get that. I, I feel like what we're more supposed to see... I mean, that, that's certainly a possible reading. I'm not trying to say you're wrong. I think the way I saw it, though, is that what Padme is doing is not... It's not that it's based on her personal feelings to Anakin either way. It's that she's recognizing my personal feelings towards Anakin shouldn't make this decision. Because I think you're right. I don't think it's a good decision. Anakin, as great as he is, and we know that he's a powerful Jedi, he's still one general among many. Mm -hmm. General Grievous is literally the leader of this army. And it's established later that if you kill him, the war ends. Um, And maybe they don't quite know that now, but certainly it feels like... Grievous is a much more valuable prisoner than one individual Jedi general out of dozens. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I definitely thought she was making the right decision there and was really annoyed when. Um, and of course, it's because we want to have Grievous active and want to have Anakin active. For, like plot wise, it wouldn't make any sense. But, yeah, I thought that was a really dumb trade for them to make. Yeah. And just I don't know the idea of Jar Jar showing more loyalty and affection towards Anakin than Padme. I I don't know. I like it. Mm-hmm. But it could just be that like, oh, Jar Jar's so emotional and so childlike and pa- and Padme's like thinking rationally and not with her, not with her emotions. Mm-hmm. In this more Yeah, Jar Jar just doesn't I don't doesn't get it. Get it. Like yeah. he's he's definitely wrong. Oh yeah. Yeah. And I think there's also part of it is that Padme recognizes that if she were to agree to that trade everyone would be like why did you do that oh so she needs because because it's talk her into it well yeah because it's so strategically bad it would possibly cast suspicion on her relationship with anakin they mean like they already do pretty crazy things like why were why did he why did anakin accompany padme to uh mon Cala in the previous episode like why not send master fisto who can live underwater without well he's described like, uh, as her tank. her jedi bodyguard but yes it, this right? is if, this is if all the mon, um all the capulets and all the monocues um i'm getting those pronunciations right we're just like oh romeo and juliet are spending an awful lot of time together nope i'm sure nothing's going on there nothing to worry about yeah. um they they like were pals back when they were like teenagers slash children mm-hmm. it's fine yeah the amount of blindness that's happening there is definitely very very high yeah a couple of just little things about the episode i wanted to mention um there's a later point where dooku is talking to anakin and is kind of taunting him at this point in time, no one else knows that Palpatine is the leader of the Sith. That, yeah, Palpatine is Sidious. And, or even that the Sith have, you know, orchestrated the entire war. Padme is starting to suspect that and, and poking Anakin about it, but, but he completely doesn't believe it. The Jedi don't believe it. 
And Dooku tells him that it's true. Like, happily for the plot, yeah. Anakin forgets it, or maybe he just... Rem- but, like, why in the world, if you were Dooku, when Sidious has worked so hard, would you admit that the, that the Sith caused this war to happen? Yeah, especially knowing that the plan is to give Anakin back. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, that just... Yeah, that doesn't make any sense at all. When When he said that, I was like, does he know that Dooku's a Sith? And, like, yeah, he does. But still, yeah, it's a really weird brag at that moment Mm -hmm. for sure uh any other last thoughts on this episode ricky this was one of the best lightsaber fights Mm. i think we've had so far Mm. yeah between dooku and anakin and like four four anti-jedi droids Mm -hmm. i think uh there was some weird editing in there in the fight where they kind of like switched rooms and and it wasn't really clear why they switched rooms but other than that i i, I just thought it was very well done and it showed the power of dooku yeah. right mm-hmm. even though he had the help of droids i think he just really was kind of toying with anakin the whole time i, I think and, you're and leading up to revenge of the sith right when anakin defeats dooku it, it shows the evolution of their powers over time very much so and I really appreciate you naming that that moment. I really enjoyed it for the same reasons. I will also say I've been playing the video game um, Star Wars: Fallen Order, in which oh, you're, yeah. uh, it's a very good game. I, I have a lot of complicated thoughts on it because I don't like platformers in general. But I keep getting my butt kicked by droids waving those you know crazy uh, energy sword things, and I'm like, I'm a Jedi. I should win this fight. So watching Anakin struggle with them, I felt a little better about my video game <laughs> struggles there. So. Um, so our last two episodes are a basically a mini droid arc, and there, there's two—it's it, two different stories. We'll talk about each one of them a little bit individually. The connection is that they're all part of—they're um, they're following R2-D2 and C-3PO. First, they're part of this Mercy mission, and then after the Mercy mission, they kind of get screwed up on their way home, and then they go have Gulliver's Travels and Wizards of Oz. But— um. I'll start with it's Star Tours and Star Tours and yeah, exactly. Gulliver's Star Tours. Yeah. So I'll start with Mercy Mission. Um, Plo Kloon's Clone Legion, the Wolf Pack, R two D two, and C three PO are sent to repair power and communication systems on the planet of Aline after a system of de- after a series of devastating earthquakes. But the droids discover a severe ecological imbalance between the planet's subterranean ecology and surface biospheres. What do we think of this episode? Didn't like it at all. Oh, all droids all the time, baby. Yeah. Did... I mean, there's so many things like the the clones being like really bad. Mm-hmm. I think it's just Wolf toward... being a jerk, but yeah. Well, no, his his troops also like bump into three PO and they're like, "Get out of the way, shiny." Yeah, they they remind the whole time they are they're on this planet with a group of people. the the inhabitants The inhabitants of the planet are are once again a lot of stereotypes of, you know, tribal, uncivilized people and, and lots of problematic stuff there. And the 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 droids, the clones, honestly, they kind of remind me of the stereotype of, like, the white Peace Corps people who are frustrated that the, the natives aren't kissing the ground they're walking on for helping. Um, yeah. It's just kind of uncomfortable to watch. Um, and, and, yeah, so what winds up happening is that the droids discover that there's actually a second race underground. You're right, Sarah. We just keep getting that story. Um, and they find out that it's there's this, you know, issue between the two of them, that they've been disturbing the biosphere. And it's all about 
air passing back and forth, and they're able to seal a breach and, and take care of it. Um, not much of a story, kind of cute. Uh, the only kind of things that I thought were fun was a couple of animation stuff. Um, the the leader of the underground people is what I described as a manic pixie dream bug. Um, <laughs> she's literally made out of glitter, and she's all like pink pastels and speaks in riddles and talks to people about finding their enlightenment. And I was like, okay, I, I see where we're going here. Um, you also talked about her. Uh, I think one of you wrote in the notes that she also has very Alice in Wonderland vibes. Yeah, well, the Manic Pixie Dream Bug is the Cheshire Cat. Yeah, that's very and true. And 3PO slash R2-D2 are Alice in Wonderland, going in so far as to, like, fall down oh, a hole. Oh, yeah, you're right. Right? And then also, like, so the, um, I think her name is, like, Orphan or something like that. But, yeah, Manic Pixie Dream Bug is better. <laughs> in her riddle, the end of her riddle is, like, who are you? Which is a line that the Caterpillar says to Alice in Alice in Wonderland. Um, but, yeah, it feels very... Very Alice in Wonderland vibes. I like that these these two episodes have like seemingly tangential literary connections, which is neat. Oh yeah, this yeah, is R two D two and C three PO exploring nineteenth century British literature. As far as one hundred percent, yeah. Uh, I also did like that. Um, at some point, while they're underground, these trees come to life. I described them as cyber ants because they look mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. kind of like the walking talking trees of Tolkien but with all like black and crazy like neon lighting and stuff like that and so cyber ants yeah fitting. i think and ricky pointed out to me they're voiced by M- michael dorn right i didn't look it up oh you didn't it, look it up it was, sounds like michael yeah, dorn <laughs> like um but yeah i i don't know hearing you guys take about the like the Peace Corps nature of the wolf pack is interesting because that's like not the read I got. I thought they were just like upset that they weren't in like a pew pew battle and were just bringing supplies right to a planet instead. But yeah, I, I, I think don't know. that's definitely I also, part of it. I just feel like they take their frustration out on the people they're supposed to be there helping. Yeah, that's fair. Instead of yeah. like the, not being jerks. So yeah. what this reminded me of is um, how the U.S. Army dealt with um the war in afghanistan mm. and um gosh i can't remember the year but when they did the surge right you know what i'm talking about yeah i think 2000, uh, 2007 what, what, right after the 2006 yeah. election they they sent more troops to afghanistan but it wasn't necessarily to fight against the taliban like one of the things that they did i believe the acronym is coin and, and i can't remember <laughs> what it stands for but basically it's like instead of shooting people we're gonna give food to people right it was like part of it and we want you to go out there and talk to the uh, the afghani and you know try to learn about them and teach them about us and that was part of the new mission and because like this is the opposite of that right like you you go to some planet and you help you're helping them but you're also like kicking them down and like talking down to them it's like that's not how you win people over yeah and it's funny, I mean, that's not the first time the Americans tried that. In That was a big part of the Vietnamization that was, you know, Nixon's whole strategy in Vietnam of we're going to focus more towards helping the people and helping them, you know, training their army and helping them build dams and, and institutions and, and um, making the war more, you know, helping them to fight the war. And yeah. the same kind of dynamic happens of the people who are sent to help the people in Vietnam, you know, wind up hating the Vietnamese and you have so many incidents of you know like soldiers killing vietnamese and things like that same thing in afghanistan um yeah i hadn't even thought of it but i think that's a great connection there but i think the problem is like you 
you can't just help them you have to respect them right mm. like you, you the the help right when if it comes with condescension and like we're superior to you like that's that's not how you get the message across and i think at least in afghanistan like they focused a lot more on the message mm-hmm. when, when they did the surge mm, that makes sense i think it's interesting that this is coming from clones right because one of the things we've been talking about is how the jedi act superior to the clones right mm. and like now the clones are doing it Could, mm, yeah that's an interesting point yeah perpetuating the cycle Mm -hmm. i have an entirely different question about this episode go for it why didn't the manic pixie dream bug push the water button herself (laughs) yeah so this is there's a riddle that she gives and then like that's how 3po and r2d2 get out to fix the problem that's how they get the problem was sealing up the cave entrance not Pushing the button. Gotcha. Okay. Right. Thank you. Well, but still, I mean, like, if what's needed to happen is for R2-D2 and C-3PO to figure this out, and if they don't figure it out, all these people underground are going to die, maybe help them figure it out. Like, making it a riddle for them to solve, as though you don't have a vested interest in them solving it, seems a little dumb. That's fair. Yeah. It's like riddle for riddle's sake. But, you know. Who doesn't love riddles? Manic Manic Pixie pixie Dream. Why do smart things when you can just do the, the crazy kooky thing? Um. Yeah. Exactly. You gotta be quirky. So the last episode we have is Nomad Droids, and here, um, it's it's the same arc, and then it's just the next step chronologically, but it isn't connected in any way, except that it's still an R two and C three PO exploring, as I said, nineteenth century um, uh, literature. Not only not only British. Um, they now are I on think the it's ship. All British. What did you say? Oh, sorry. I said I think it is all British, isn't it? Oh, Wizard of Oz is very American. Oh, I didn't know that uh, Baum was American. Oh, yeah. Well, I... That makes sense. It's set in Kansas. Okay. Yeah. He may have been born in England. I don't know, but it's very much an American story. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, so they they are on the ship. It's getting away. The Separatists attack. They somehow climb into a Y-Wing, which it turns out um, R2-D2 is a very good pilot of. Um, they have some adventures. They crash on a planet. They go through Gulliver's Travels. They fly to another planet. They go through a Wizard of Oz story. Um, there's just little adventure after little adventure. And eventually they get to... Um, they get back to the Separatist ship. And then they get rescued by Plo Koon and his wolf pack. Yeah, yeah. So they're on they're on the ship leaving um, Aline, Al- Al- the planet they were just on. It gets attacked by Separatists. And then Star Tours happens. Yeah. <laughs> Which is great. I, I really liked it. Um, as soon as like we were watching it, and Ricky pointed it out to me, he's like, this is like Star Tours. I'm like, this is like Star Tours. Yeah. Um, yeah. Where, the, where there's stuff happening, there's a battle in the background, and R2 and 3PO are kind of like scurrying through the foreground. Like, yeah. oh no. Just yeah. And, and, th- and well, and 3PO's like, R2D2, we don't belong here. Get us out of here. Which is just like, yeah, the plot line of, Star Tours, mm-hmm. which is amazing. And then they go to three planets. And then they go to three planets, yeah. Well, I guess in Star... Well, in the new Star Tours, you go to three planets, don't yeah. you? In the old one, you just went to the moon of Endor and then came back. Mm-hmm. Anyway, yeah, the the three planets thing is interesting. I also... I think Gulliver's Travels is like 18th century, not 19th century. Okay. But that's a, that doesn't, that doesn't super <laughs> matter at all. Um, 
But yeah, the first the first incidence is like super obviously Gulliver's Travels, although the they're like called the Petites, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're basically <laughs> which is like they're these like little like warlike natives who are but but you realize like they're tiny. And so it's, yeah. they're, they're tying them down. To me, the only real notable part of that story is that um, C-3PO accidentally kills their king, who's clearly like a, you know, fascist, you know, or not fascist, but like he, he's not, he's a monarch. He's absolute rule. Nobody likes him. He feels so bad that he's killed him. And then everyone's like, yay, you killed him. It's great. And so. I don't think he. Yeah, R2 doesn't feel bad. R2 is, like, trying to fight this guy. 3PO yeah. definitely feels bad and was like, oh, it's an accident. So we then find out that the people are now like, okay, but who rules us? So C-3PO mm. decides, okay, I will instill democracy. And he does that by saying, who are the three coolest people here? Okay, great. <laughs> Voice vote. Who do you want to be your ruler? And then here again, it's like the, this to me gives me such, like, Peace Corps, like, white colonialist vibes they tell them to have a democracy they have a vote and then they start fighting because the vote didn't go everyone's way at which point c-3po is like all right peace out we're gone yeah yeah that's i mean that's straight out of gulliver's travels though like that's his first adventure is going to um see the lilliputians then finds out that they're very very picky about like super tiny things like they get into a weird fight about how to crack your egg properly Mm -hmm. They let Gulliver wander around, but they're freaked out about him because he's tall. He ends up, like, he, like, pees on their town, and it's to put out a fire, but they're still very upset that he's peed on their town. (laughs) For good reason. Uh, Yeah, and then he, like, tries to install some sort of government. It goes terribly wrong, and he's just like, back to Europe I go. Bye. Oh, I hadn't realized that that part's from Gulliver, too. I thought that was just a, like, let's be cute and fundamentally change the political history of this planet. Um, it's kind of awesome, <laughs> but that's, that is straight from Gulliver. Um, there's, there's a long tradition of fundamentally changing the political mm-hmm. uh, democracy. I like the voice vote, though, because, I, you know, like many people now, I've been watching a little bit too much of Congress mm-hmm. <laughs> take votes on things. And initially, they just do a voice vote. They're like, all those in favor say aye, aye, all those against say nay, nay. And then, like, the speaker just arbitrarily decides, like, the the eyes have it. Right. Well, not and arbitrarily, then, but, yeah. Well, by listening. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then, like, if someone challenges, then they have to do the actual vote count, the tally. Yeah, so that's the part that 3PO left out, is, like, so someone should have challenged, and then he should have said, okay, we're going to tally up the votes. Right. Instead of just peace. Also, I think some of those small warriors voted multiple times. <laughs> Very positive. Yeah, it basically reminds me of, like, you're at a bar, and people are voting on, like, who gets the prize for best karaoke song or best open yeah. mic or something like that. You know, it's cheer loud. Yeah. Everyone claps. Um, yeah, very low stakes scenarios. And yeah. Instead, it's going to be like, who's going to be your new leader? And so then they go to the Wizard of Oz planet where there's, you know, this all these people are being ruled by this holographic image of, you know, this great powerful ruler who we find is actually just being controlled by the three, three of the, I don't remember what their name is, but the, the cute the little droids. Maintenance droids, droids yeah. yeah. The maintenance droids where if you poke them in the eye, they'll just fold back up and they're, you know, kind of small and cute and mischievous. Um, and here they're like, wahaha, you know, we got ruled for so long. Uh, now it's our time to rule. And, and again mm-hmm. there, and I'm like, yeah, droids get kicked around a lot. I'm kind of on your side. So, okay. <laughs> yeah. And then the, like the, the people they're ruling are very like proto 
people, mm-hmm. proto things. I don't like. I don't know what to to call them, but they're not um, a fully developed society yet. They're like in that process of development. So the fact that this is a hologram isn't like they're not just like, well, that's a hologram because they've never seen technology this advanced before. Yeah, the people of Star Wars do not have a prime directive. Um, yeah. <laughs> I'm very curious to know how wildly sociological and anthropological development changes based on, like, which Jedi had to refuel on which planet at which point. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, Star Trek has a prime directive but barely follows <laughs> also it. Also true. So. Also true. Um. So, yeah. So, I think a fun little episode. It didn't really have much effect on the plot. There's not too much to talk about. Was there any other kind of last little things about it or just all these episodes in general folks wanted to talk yeah, about? Yeah, so... Their third adventure. So Gulliver goes on four adventures, mm. um, which is like, I guess, a slightly different take here. But the third adventure. So <laughs> Gulliver, prompting his third adventure, gets like abducted by pirates. And what prompts R2 and 3PO's third adventure is they get abducted by pirates. Yes. Um, which, it's Hondo's yeah. people, but we don't see Hondo, which may be so I know. sad. I so when we when this episode came on and the like Petiti's ruler was about to come out, I'm like, is this Hondo? Like, I think I remember this being Hondo, and it, it isn't. Um, but I was like, oh, this is why I thought Hondo was in this episode. He's not, and I want him to be. I miss him. But yeah, it's uh, it's the the Hondo pirates who are having like droid gladiatorial duels to the death. Um, but. 3PO, R2-D2, a trash can droid, all get saved by Plokun, as you mentioned. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't believe the trash can droid got saved. No, he didn't. The guy in front of the trash can droid got melted down, but the trash can droid is fine. Which, I by the way, Star Wars camera. Fallen Order mm-hmm. has now taught me that those are mobile power generators. All right. They're, they're basically supposed to be walking batteries, so... Interesting. No. Take... They're walking trash cans. <laughs> <laughs> you can't tell me otherwise. Well, um, Sarah, I'm so glad that you actually know so much about Gulliver's Travels. I just thought it was, you know, the the Lilliputian kind of reference. So I'm glad that actually, I had no idea it goes that deep. Um, oh, obscure literary references? I'm your gal. I, I just want to, I wish someone would write the tell-all book about what happened in the Clone Wars writers' room because yeah. on the one like we keep having these conversations of like did they intend to do that were they being this wonderfully subtle and setting this up and then other days it feels like they all sat around got high and someone was like <laughs> oh well Lucas is off promoting the next movie what do you want to write about this week I don't know how about C three PO has Gulliver's travels sure let's do it you know like it just seems yeah. so random. <laughs> well, it feels I, it's great. Like I really I really appreciate all these like subtle literary references Mm -hmm. like it wasn't enough that they needed to like stick in honor of akira kurosawa in front of it like they did with the um, seven samurai episode but it's enough that like if you're familiar with the story if you're not familiar with the story you get the lilliputians and that's cool which is still like a fun literary reference but if you are familiar with the story there's like all these other little things that start clicking into place i don't know i think it's i think it's neat and especially like drawing on previous literary canon mm. as and bringing it into like a new modern trope is just like I don't know. It's a really exciting, really interesting yeah. tradition, and I'm 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 here for it. Again, like as we've said in the past, TV shows the seasons used to be much longer, and they had to fill you know twenty plus right. episodes, and you can't have them all be bangers. Yeah. 
So who's like, saying this wasn't a banger? I, I am. Oh. I, I mean, this was. I, I this wasn't. This one wasn't that bad, but it, it is also clearly filling. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. And maybe that's the best thing we can say about um why why we keep talking about the seasons getting better. I feel like here we had a, a really good, interesting plot arc, and then some filler episodes, and the thing we hate most, a Jar Jar episode, and. I still hate Jar Jar. I still hate the Gungans. I think this is the best Jar Jar episode we've gotten so far in terms of like the oh, most what? other good things happening. And the filler episodes are, yeah, they don't really do much, mm-hmm. but they're entertaining. And they're not, they're not painful the way a lot of the ones in earlier seasons are. Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah, I, I completely agree, right? Like, like you guys said, these, these clearly are filler episodes, but they're not annoying filler episodes. And I, I agree with you as well with the, this being the best. Jar Jar episode? Gungan episode? Have we had any, like, really Gungan forward episodes before? Like, I know we've had a few with Jar Jar Pratt falling around. But e- even still, like, it's it's frustrating just because of how frustrating the Gungans are, mm-hmm. like, full stop. But I think as as far as a story, like, you get, you even get your little bit of the um, Prince and the Popper vibes, right? right? With Jar Jar standing in to be Boss Leone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they they were fun as well, which I think is what you want from your filler episodes, right? Like, it wasn't some weird, tragic... Not, not that there's anything wrong with, like, a really heavy filler episode either, but it was just, like, lighthearted and fun and fun to watch. Yeah, I think that's a good way to put it. Riki, any other final thoughts from you? No. This, this was a good set. Yeah. I don't think it's as good a start to a season as season three was. Mm-hmm. But it was it was a fine fine beginning. Yeah, I think it's definitely true. I think it's definitely true. Um, so, listeners, what about you? Um, for those folks who are following along with us, you're watching along. What do you think of these episodes? Um, for you all who are you haven't watched the episodes, you're not planning to watch the episodes, but you want us to kind of hear along. What, what's your take on stuff? We'd love to hear it. You can find all the ways to contact us by going to theethicalpanda.com uh, under the Ethical Panda. I'm sort of putting together. All the social media for my different podcasts. Um, this one, Superhero Ethics, Pandavision, other things I'm on. Um, so there you can find contact information. You can join the conversation on Facebook or on Twitter. Or you can email me and I'll, uh, I can either respond directly to you or uh, read, read your comment on air and talk about it that way. You can also go to strandedpanda.com. And there you're going to find a lot more of the... Sorry. There you're going to find uh, this podcast as well as the other podcasts I do and all the other podcasts in the Stranded Panda podcast network. Uh, the same way that here we do deep dives into Star Wars, there you're going to find deep dives into Star Trek, the MCU, the DC Universe, all these other great things. Lots of great content there to, to find and adjust. So I'm going to have myself, uh, Riki, Sarah. Thank you all so much for listening. Have a great day. <laughs>